Welcome to the Start, Scale, Succeed podcast with me, your host, Nicole Higgins, the Buy and Retail Coach, sharing tips, advice, and insight from entrepreneurs that have just launched to multi-million pound business owners. We will be discussing the challenges they faced, advice they would give, and the milestones they achieved and how they got there. Also joining me will be a broad range of experts with some tips and practical how-tos, episodes that will help your business grow and to enable you to live the life you crave. The types of experts that you'll hear from will be those that you will find beneficial as you start and scale your business, from branding and social media experts to mindset coaches and PR marketing. There will also be solo episodes from me discussing a variety of topics from sourcing to maximizing the profit in your business. Are you spending several hours packing boxes and shipping orders? Surrounded by boxes in your living room, your sitting room, running out of space to store your inventory, or you need more time to grow your business so that you're not focused on packing and picking, then this episode is going to be a great one for you because I am talking to Dean Johnston, founder of The Hub, which provides a variety of services from marketing and fulfillment to SMEs. And we are particularly going to be talking about fulfillment in this episode and covering everything that you need to know from who would be a right partner, the questions that you need to ask. And also, if you're already using a fulfillment partner and you need to switch, what should you be looking out for? Thank you very much, Dean, for joining me today. No, thank you for the invite. No, really looking forward to it. Now, before we go into some of the questions, can you talk through a little bit of your background? Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Not from when um, you're 10. You don't need to start oh, when you're 10. It's okay. I feel like I I've lived a, a few of a down in one. I always feel like Scylla Black. When I, where, yeah. What's your name, love, and where do you come from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So seat number one is um, <laughs> I, I started um, my business journey back in uh, 2018. Um, basically, I started on the high street. I was in high street retail um, and I was um, serving all things menswear, basically. Um, I, I drove into starting a business because I was just unhappy um, in an employed job. Um, so I was like, Do you know what, I'll have a go at it. Um, from there, I started growing an online business um, on the back of that. So selling the menswear, but online. And uh, that took off massively. Just it was the year before the pandemic, and uh, yeah, we grew really massively. Got from like zero to two hundred and fifty k a month within six months. Wow. So it was a it was a huge growth path. Uh, um, so a menswear product business. That's what you where you. That's started. right. Yeah. So shoes, suits, shirts, t-shirts, anything you can think that a men would buy clothing wise, we sold it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that did really really well. Um, obviously pandemic came so we initially had that dip but then again skyrocketed back up as did many Um, and at that point we took the decision to close the high street stores and go all in online Um, and it was through that journey of delivering online um, services that I found my superpower really is very much around the operational side of things and found a real passion for processes and everything like that. And that's where the Fulfillment Hub comes from, really. Um, That's when it was a Fulfillment Hub launched back in December 2020. So you've lived and breathed the the issues that people are are listening to in terms of from a marketing point of view, because you don't just do the fulfillment side, you do the marketing, you do email marketing. It's an end to end side of things. And is the menswear business still trading? Did you keep that on or did you focus on the... No, so actually last year we took the decision to close it so we could focus all in. Like I think... Mm -hmm. What happened, I had a moment of clarity where it was a case of like, right, what what gets me up in the morning? What do I feel truly passionate about? 
And as much as um, I loved having the e-com brand, it was very much um, founder-led, like helping those founders, whether it be delivering through fulfillment, marketing, etc. That's wow. what really got me going. So like I said, you've lived in breed, so you can really, from a first-person experience, understand the the issues that um, small businesses um, come up against. So from yeah. a fulfillment point of view, and like mm-hmm. I said at the beginning, you know, there's going to be people that are probably listening to this with boxes behind them, boxes at the side of them, all that side of things. What are the, you know, what are the signs and when should you be looking for fulfillment? It's a really great question, this one. And I think this comes down to like understanding as a founder, why did I start my business? Because if you started your business um, to grow, grow a team and, and manage a facility and everything like that, and that be an element of your story, um, then fulfillment's probably not on your radar. But a lot of people started out with, I want to balance life. I, I really want to spend more time. I want to work flexible hours. Um, but whilst earning earning a good living, and I think that's the that's the real crux of when to start looking. Because if it's if that if the latter is why you got into business, then it should be a case of right. I need to look at fulfillment or building in a, a fulfillment partner as part of my journey. So we've got people that are here that are startups. So they've literally never been anywhere else. They've never packed an order. Um, and that's because they built it in from the get-go. But what I would say is if you're sat there thinking, actually, I have got my garage is full, my dining table's full, the kids are, are there packing um, before yeah. tea time and all the rest of it, and it, it's you thinking, right, well, when's the end point? Mm-hmm. Because the end point starts with you, and so it's a case of you've got to make that switch. Um so yeah, really get into grips with why you started the brand. I always think it will enlighten you into when you should start opening your eyes and talking to these people. It might not be that you 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 can do it straight away, but mm-hmm. it's a case of like you would get a very Have clearer picture of when. Yeah. yeah. And have the conversation. Yeah, because you might be three months off or you might be six months off. Correct. You you can start planning and you've got I don't want to say light at the end of the tunnel, but you've got a solution to a potential problem or potential issue that you're having and I think exactly. if you're if you're focusing on the fulfillment you're not focusing on the growing the strategy you know mm-hmm. that's going to take your brand to that next level that you need to be from the exactly. that's take you off that dining table into your own offices yeah. if that's what you want you know yeah, it becomes a very sort of um, circular um, system when you don't actually have that plan in place. Um, and actually what you'll find is like, oh, I started the brand because of like I love the product or I make the product, source the product. And then all of a sudden you're just packing orders and then you'll, 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 you fall into it. Everybody does it. I did it at the beginning, like hands up. But it's yeah. a case of like, if it's built in then you know where you go in you've got that end point you can work towards it and you will be able to focus your time on, on what's more important to grow your business you touched there about that you deal with people that have never packed an order so they've built it in from Correct. the beginning how can brands build it in from the beginning so it all comes around um about your fulfillment partner so for us we 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 specifically allocate a percentage of our capacity to startups you know my mission really is very much around helping founders at any stage so when when i've got a startup founder that's coming to me it's a case of we look at things a little bit more flexibly in terms of like right what are the costs um how can, so making sure that they know their product margins, right? We're building the fulfillment costs. And then a lot of the time it's more around the only real charge you'll come up against is storage. 
but then it's a case of working with them to minimize their storage maximize their replen rate and really sort of understand how their inventory management as well because that's something that gets overlooked during the startup phase um so planning that out with them um does actually make it a, a much more viable option for them and i think some people they they think right fulfillment i need to be giving them you know thousands of pounds worth of business a month or you know they've got a and some will have that some will have that threshold mm. or you know of course. or i need to make sure that i'm selling thousands a month but you you don't operate like that your business doesn't operate like that at all does it not at all. No, I think like um, the larger fulfillment centers and obviously the, the most common one we'll think of is like Amazon. And we'll just be like thinking of the sheer scale that we, we've got to operate at. Um, but no, that's not the case for us. So we very much look at the founder, what they're trying to achieve, the plan that they're on, and we'll sort of produce a solution that fits around that. Um, so like I say, we have capacity allocated for people at all stages of their journey. Um, and that, that allows them to be flexible with like, right, some people are doing a handful of orders a month. Some people are doing hundreds a day. Like it, it's yeah. it's very, very much different, but all possible. And from a costing point of view, and I know you'll have varieties of costings and different scales, but um, for all the projects that I've been talking to people about for my own, for di- different businesses that I'm working on, um, Generally, with fulfillment, there's a there's a maybe a one-off pick fee. Obviously, you've got your yeah. storage. There's a lot of fees involved, but mm. you've got a one-off pick fee, and then you've got another additional, maybe smaller item pick fee in your yeah in, that goes into your package. That's but, right. So that's like the most sort of common or traditional method um, that you'll find in any fulfillment center. Normally, because obviously it scales with or average order value. Um, so as long as you've got that sort of margin built in there, it, it works really well. Um, but there's a, there's a multitude of different pricing models. And again, this will come down to the journey that they're at. So yeah. some people, for example, um, we can do like a percentage of um, of their sales. So that's then built in from the get-go. Or we can do like for a lot of gifting companies, we find that that type of pricing model where it's first pick, second pick doesn't work very well because somebody could pick from four, five items to 30 items in the same box. And then all of a sudden the, the costs have got crazy. Mm-hmm. So a fixed fee per box and everything works quite well. So there's there's plenty of different models to work through. And I think that's an important thing to bring up with your chosen fulfillment partner as well. It's just like, right, how can we price? How can we be flexible on what that model looks like as well? And that brings me very nicely to my next question, which are which is what are the questions if you are looking for a fulfillment partner, what are the questions that you should be um, asking them? So a few of the questions that I sort of see overlooked a lot of the time is one about insurance. I think that it's a very sort of assumed thing that their stock will be insured. However, what you'll find with fulfillment partners is it's quite complex insuring somebody else's stock. So a lot of the time, like you're in, you're responsible for your own insurance um, and that, that bit gets overlooked and obviously crucial should anything happen mm-hmm. with your stock uh, whilst being in there. Um, the second thing is really just getting to grips with the actual facility. So if you could get a physical tour, that would be amazing, but a mm-hmm. virtual tour at, at sort of best. Understanding um, the setup that they've got, how that how they'll be handling your stock, what that looks like um, on site too. Um, and then the, th- the final thing really is the day-to-day. I think understanding like, do you have access to the software so you can make edits and changes to the orders you know you're still going to have customer service emails come to you so 
if you if like once that order's made and it's in their system and you've not got access how like it's going to cost you a lot in like oh well that's been shipped and then we're gonna have to get it returned so having the ability to sort of access and edit a, a good a good time in, in advance um returns is a good one i've noticed a bit of a trend with fulfillment centers at the moment that returns are becoming either costly or unavailable at um, fulfillment centers which is quite a strange one because it's a real core element to any econ brand really um so that's really important how they're processing so how does that how does a return situation normally work um that do they have do they um if it returns to the fulfillment center there's obviously a cost for the return to be processed put back into stock yeah and but that's, you're that's yeah that's the sort of common setup that you you'll see um however i think with the, the the sort of scope of different brands like for example fashion will have different requirements for returns um you know check checking tags you know some more higher end maybe like dress companies may require like them to be re-steamed and things like that yeah, yeah. and this is where it gets a little bit out of scope and then all of a sudden your stock is getting put back in very generically and then is being received to the next customer not in good. not yeah. the right postal experience for your brand. Um, so understanding the exact process that from your perspective, not theirs, making mm-hmm. sure you're not getting shoehorned into what, like, oh, right, well, this is what we do. Well, what do you need? Start back yeah. there and see if they can accommodate that. And you said that some fulfillment companies are not accepting returns at all at the moment. You know, yeah, so what they're trying to do is I'm seeing a trend of like, so there's, there's companies out there that just do returns management. That's that's all they focus on. And a lot of the bigger brands, um, like the huge names, will just use those centers rather than processing themselves. And what I'm seeing is them sort of the fulfillment centers almost teaming up with with those and be like, oh, well, if you want that, you're going to have to team up with these as well. But then they also have an an entry level requirement as well of the number of returns. So if before it gets a little bit out of control then, and I Mm. think it's about making sure that it will work for some people uh, further down the journey. But when we're we're talking about sort of startup to mid-sized sort of businesses that are just sort of really getting to grips with their brand, starting to do well, like that's it's a bit a step too far for them at the moment. And what what should you be able to expect from a fulfillment partner? Um, I or I always sort of go back to this one being around caring and flexibility because we know in today's landscape business changed so quickly. Like the last two years have shown us that is a pure example. So businesses have had to adapt really quickly. So they've maybe launched more complex products, maybe more bundles and kits. And, you know, if your fulfillment partner is quite static of like, well, it didn't arrive in that format, so we can't ship it like that. Like that's, it becomes like, oh, so that option that I needed. Computer says no kind of thing. Yeah, almost. Yeah, exactly. And you're just like, right, well, I can't launch that product. So, but I need to shift that inventory. And that's, so having that flexibility built in. So when you're speaking to these fulfillment partners, asking, right, how do you handle this type of situation? If I needed to do this, it's like, we have a lot of clients that do, so market fairs, like around Christmas time, mm-hmm. and they need to pull out a large amount of inventory. And then it's a case of like, right, well, the traditional pricing model wouldn't work for that because it would cost them a fortune to remove their stock just to do a fair mm-hmm. to then return it again. So having the conversation around, right, this is what I need. Can we get a price in that's going to be more accommodating to achieve what I'm looking to do? 
So yeah, 100% flexibility. And the second thing I would say is something that you can't teach is obviously to care, really. Like people either do or they don't. So understanding the sort of team culture that happens in there, which is when a physical tour comes in really well because you'll get to sort of get a vibe and feel yeah. people. Um, and I think that would be really, really good to understand, like what's what's their staff turnover rate and, under, and understanding sort of the mechanics of the business. If people are staying there a long time, they're happy, which means your postal experience will be looked after. They'll care yeah. about your products and you've not got a lot to worry about. And other than, I suppose, it's for you as a business owner thinking about, right, what are the things that I want to do? Like you said, in terms of, right, I know I'm going to do Christmas fairs. I'm going to do a pop-up shop in yeah. John Lewis. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you mm-hmm. know, for you to kind of have that forward view that you can speak to your fulfillment partner about and say, right, at these certain stages, I'm going to need to be doing X, Y, Z. And you're not, as a you know, as a business, you're not going to know, right, I'm going to have a dip in March. So I want to do a whole load of bundle buys. But like you said, if you've got someone that's flexible, other than the usual questions that you might be asking in terms of, um, you know, do they have a minimum order that you need to fulfill? How do yeah. they handle returns? Um, you know, what about um, getting to see the data? Like what level of transparency can you have or should you be able to ask for? So in terms of... Um, of your data de- is what I mean and, and your stock. That's it, yeah. Yeah. So in terms of like how you're... Because obviously they're, they're in charge of your inventory. So it may integrate with your platform like Shopify, for example, but we all know sort of inventory management reports on Shopify aren't as clear as they could be um, because they're very sales focused. They're the front end, really. Mm-hmm. So having a system um, that you're plugged into that re- that gives you that visibility of right, what inventory is on hand, what's allocated to orders, have I got any back orders, like as in that you pre-sold or um, what's incoming because you've booked in stock to go, to go in. So really getting that clear visibility of like your, what your stock holding looks like. And more importantly, being able to forecast because that type of reporting will then allow you to sort of calculate your stock cover based on your sales rates and everything like that. And these are the sort of things that really get overlooked just in sort of inventory management number wise, um, because we're so focused on getting the sales in on the front end. And obviously we know the inventory, we've got a shift and everything like that. But understanding the whole supply chain right the way through from supplier to fulfillment and all those sales as well, mm. like really getting to grips with those numbers. So a lot of that's built in for a lot of fulfillment centers that that reporting becomes part of what they can offer you. Package, yeah. But it yeah, but it definitely should be um in there. If it's not, I would say that it, in the short term you'll be okay, but in the long term you'll be like I really need this visibility. And what can you do to ensure that whoever you partner with delivers the kind of unboxing? I mean, unboxing is, you know, key in terms of helping drive your brand. And if, if you're using a lot of influences and all that kind of thing, but in ter- how can you make sure that they deliver the experience that you would deliver if you were packing it yourself? Absolutely. So this is one of my favorites because it's process driven in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so like for us during the onboarding sort of period, we'll ask the client to create a little video of themselves packing an order and then supplement that with a few images as well of like the finished product. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what we would do is we then internalize that break it down and build up process cards that would sit on the packing terminal for every packer that they could, when they're in the warehouse, they can see how the finished product needs to look both internally 
and then once it's closed and ready with the shipping label. Um, so having having someone that is delivering your postal experience, because for example, if you was in a fulfillment center like Amazon, you know it's coming in a in an Amazon box. That's it. That, that's all mm-hmm. you're getting. But a lot of fulfillment partners now require sort of like human touch services where it's like, right, well, we've got tissue paper, stickers. And then like there's a, a bow that goes around it, handwritten gift notes, all of those elements that are part of your brand. So that's where the process really comes down to. What does it look like what you're doing right now and how can that be replicated once you've moved over? Mm-hmm. And the only clear way to do that is through a clear process and visuals. So obviously that's something that they would need from you. What other kind of things would a fulfillment company need from you? So um, it's it's not as much as you think, to be honest. So a lot of the time um, we'll just integrate. So you'll integrate to your selling platform. And after that, the only real thing is that we, we need clarity on is how much stock are you moving in with? How many orders do you process on a regular basis? Um, and that's pretty much it. Everything else is sort of supplementary to that. So once we've got that understanding of what your business looks like and the size that you'll be operating in, the rest sort of takes care of itself in the day-to-day. Um, and I think that's it's a real good myth debunker there because everyone thinks, oh, I can't. I can't get rid of my business because only I know how to do this bill and things like that. It's if you can do it and you do that same task every day in your head, that's the process. We've just got to get it out there and we can then replicate that. And if you're already with a fulfillment person, but you're, you're not happy or the relationship isn't working and you want to move, what kind of notice do people usually need? And what do you need to do to make sure that you've got a smooth transition to your next fulfillment company? In terms of fulfillment, we normally work, like most fulfillment centers will work on service level agreements rather than contracts. So mm-hmm. it's pretty straightforward, like a 30-day notice is pretty standard to sort of exit. But the first thing I would do is just sort of arrange a call with whether it's your account manager or somebody of like of seniority at the, at the fulfillment place and just say, look, can we get have a honest open conversation about like the issues that I'm experiencing and um, just providing them with an opportunity to sort of course correct yeah. um, by all means if that falls through then obviously you're going to have to start looking elsewhere and to be honest for somebody that's stuck so if you if they're listening to this right now and you and you're thinking this is me like I'm I feel trapped in my fulfillment center um, by all means that's not the case um, it may cost to move like don't get me wrong and because you've got to exit your your stock from them. But the reality is how much time are you spending on the issues that they're generating? That has a cost too. So in the long term, a move would, would make sense. Um, and I've done a I've done a fair few fulfillment center uh, to fulfillment center moves now. Um and I'll be honest, they're they're one of the easiest in some ways because mm-hmm. the stock's already prepped. Like that, it's it's pretty straightforward to understand. Um, you know, everything's either got a barcode or it's been labelled, or there's some kind of identity to the stock, mm-hmm. um, which makes it really simpler on our end. And then from a transitional point of view, ninety percent of the work is done before your stock even arrives. So like the tech integrations and everything like that, that's all taken care of before your t- your stock touches the ground. So for us, the last sort of three fulfillment center moves we've done, mm-hmm. there's only been one down day for the, for the actual client. And that's because all the tech's been done. You have your in-transit day when it's been exited from there. 
arrives here, we normally put like a weekend team on. So it literally gets processed through into stock and then we're, we're sending your orders out on Monday. So it's, it's a real fluid process. Um, so if you're, if you are in that situation, I think depending on the fulfillment partner you're speaking to, it's most likely easier than you think to sort of get out of that. And um, you mentioned there issues that you, the issues that might the fulfillment center might be causing or might be doing. What yeah. kind of issues might may the, might those be? So it's kind of like, what should people be watching out for to see if they've got, I mean, they'll very much know within their customer yeah. service team if they've got an issue, but what are, the, what are the kind of examples you've seen or the things you've seen? So the two biggest ones for me is like picking accuracy. So mm-hmm. like they're sending the wrong items out or like the wrong colors and everything like that. And obviously that's generating issues. And then especially in fashion, the wrong sizes and more so around like if they've got complex sizing. So like, for example, waistband size, leg height size, like it, yeah. they, it gets obscure if it's not managed properly. Um, so that that being one of them, picking accuracy will be huge but and costly. And the second thing that probably doesn't get as well noted is stock accuracy. Um, so obviously if they book it in incorrectly, you could sell something that technically doesn't exist. And then obviously you've got to cancel that order and let the customer down. So understanding those metrics from your supplier. And so if you if you contact a fulfillment partner, they should be able to tell you those numbers, like what percentage of stock errors do you have? What percent, what's your picking accuracy percent? Right. So um, there would be some questions that you would ask when you're looking for new people in terms of pick accuracy and... Yeah, they're, they're, they're another good uh, couple to ask for sure because they they are what will come up against you if, if, they're, if they're high on the scale. But it's, funny enough, it's normally linked to staff turnover because they're not, they're not training correctly. And could you ask, or do you think they would say to you, you know, how long, how long generally brands stay with them or, you know, how long they've had the brands that they're working with? Yeah, I mean, like I've had um, questions asked to me sort of like what so anyone that's like left, what what was the reasonings behind that? And I'm more than happy to share. And I think it, that will be a telltale sign if, if yeah. they start like trying to worm the way out of that question. Um, yeah. But yeah, absolutely. Knowing how long a brand's been with you and more so um, if you can speak to some of the existing brands. Um, I've put a few um, inquiries in touch with my existing clients in the past um, so that they can chat objectively without me being there. Um, happy to say they was all happy, um, <laughs> but, it's a, but it's a case of, um, you know, that, that's, a real, that's a real objective um, conversation then because yeah. there's no sales bias in there. Well, there are so many nuggets that you have shared today. Thank you so much. Where if can people reach out to you and find out more about the fulfillment side or about the other services that, that you do? So they can best reach me most likely on the website, which is the hyphen hub with two bs.co.uk. Or you can find me on Instagram, which is at ecomdean. Great. And I'll put those in the show notes as well. But thank you so much, Dean, for joining us today. I'll chat to you no, thank you. It's been great. Thank you very much for joining us today and listening in. I will be back again next week with another great guest and would love it if you could leave a review so more people can see Start, Scale, Succeed and learn and be informed and hopefully inspired by what they hear here. See you next week. Bye.